Welcome to The Standard of Living, where we take a playful yet observational look at the world outside. Our creed, keep it positive and keep it fun. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at our website. Hey, today is May 28th, 2020. Um, I've now tried to record several, if not a good handful of intros to introduce today's podcast. Uh, but I, I, I just have to say that just in the past 24 to 48 hours, so much has happened in our country, uh, not for the good. Uh, and uh, when I think and try to speak on it, words fail. And that's the truth. And I know the words, thoughts and prayers are being thrown out so much these days, both online and in speech. And it just starts to feel like a worthless cliche when you think about how many people are suffering in the world right now. So this podcast still had to go out. What brought me joy today editing this uh, podcast interview from Debbie was that it happened in the first week of April uh, when we were in shelter in place for a couple of weeks. And, you know, for the most part, there was still uncertainty. Sure, there were many people sick and dying, uh, people who were being laid off, but the shelter in place order was still new for many of us. And there was this sense of giddiness about getting together to do Zoom cocktail parties or, or house party check-ins and, and playing, you know, board games via Zoom or, you know, uh, things to keep us connected. And now 10 weeks into it, cabin fever is set in and, and people want out. People want to get haircuts, uh, to sit in bars, to, you know, uh, live life like this virus isn't happening. And uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I definitely have my opinions around that. And by staying at home mostly and being masked outside, uh, you should be able to gather what side of the fence I sit on. Today is the third part of the series on the way I see it. Interviews with people who are suffering from some kind of sight impairment. Today, a friend of mine, Debbie Lawrence, whom I've known for more than 20 years, is my guest. Did you hear that airplane? Now, if you happen to have caught the last episode, uh, I actually interviewed Arian and Debbie together on the phone because I had to talk them through, if you didn't catch this, how to download Zoom, install it, and open it on their phones before we could conduct the interview uh, because I use Zoom to capture the audio for these podcasts. And that was fun. And I learned so much from Arian, and, um, and I've learned so much from Debbie over the years. So I pulled a little bit of our catch-up discussion uh, before the actual interview started to just kind of bring us back into that world. Here it is. Um, my, this morning I did, uh, an interview for red, green, colorblindness, but I wanted to mention, I probably will do this in the intro that, you know, my eyesight is changing as I'm now in my mid forties and the reading, uh, component is such that I'm at that point where I'm taking my glasses off all the time 
And then I can't find them because I get up and I'm like, where are my glasses? And I have three <laughs> pairs of glasses that are oh, wow. s- scattered throughout my house so that I'm just like, I can see. But a lot of times I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just need to buy more. And we're not even at that point where I have to get progressives, is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Um, progressive so, Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, my, my optometrist is like, yep, not, not yet, not yet. Just keep suffering. And so, <laughs> and that's in a nutshell. I don't think she used the word suffering, but she's like, yeah, it's going to suck for a couple of years until, <laughs> until you truly need reading glasses. And I'm like, okay. But then I, you know, I also look at the other side of the coin and I'm like, well, I can see I'm not for lack of vision. It's just an inconvenience that I can't find my freaking glasses. And <laughs> And I'm crawling around the house and my dog's just staring at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> Have um, you ever thought of putting in a, putting your glasses on a chain or something and just, you know, act? Listen, you, um, I have friends <laughs> who are very judgmental. If they saw that, I don't think I would ever hear the end of it. Like I, oh. I still like the- hear about you and your Crocs. Like seriously, I mean... This is 13 years ago I was wearing Crocs and they still bring it up. So if I put a chain on my glasses, I will never hear the end of it. Now you look like the librarian. Yes, I am that fragile a person. But if I really start losing way many glasses, or if I start losing lots of glasses, I promise you I'll get those chains. (laughs) Oh, by the way, the other day I tried to leave the house and I had you know, I pulled my glasses up over my eyes so I could read something. And then I put a second pair of glasses on top of that. And I just caught myself in the mirror before I left. I'm like, oh my God, I look like a dork. Like, <laughs> I've, And I didn't even know, you know, it's just, it was, yeah. So anyways, that's me. Okay. So Debbie, what is the term? Like you are, see, here's the thing is I don't know much in terms of like what the, I'll just say quote unquote, the PC terms for someone who's sight impaired what i am blind okay that's that's it i'm i'm totally blind Mm -hmm. there are different degrees of visual impairment Mm -hmm. um someone who is totally blind like me um may have a light perception which i do i can see light i can see the sun i can see artificial lighting um i i can sometimes see shadows but i can't tell you what the shadow is so the light perception that I have is not good enough for me to travel um, anywhere to, you know, I can't see to, to get around. Mm-hmm. I can't see to do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So I depend on a cane. <clears throat> was that for me? <laughs> that, was for, that was for you. I just real. I'm like, uh-oh, is, we're going to bring it up now. We'll talk about the cane later. Okay, see. <laughs> That's another story, yes. yes. Okay. Um, so I use a cane. A lot of people who um, are blind use guide dogs, mm-hmm. and that is the term. It's a guide dog. Okay. Uh, people say seeing eye, but that's, a, that's the name of a guide dog school in Morristown, New Jersey. So um, people who use them and those of us who have friends who use them mm-hmm. call them guide dogs because okay. that's what they do. Um, so the term for me... Um, is blind. I'm, I'm totally blind. And something else I want to add, um, a lot of, there's a very low percentage of people who are um, totally blind, who, who see nothing, who are in complete darkness. 
um, I think it's like 2% of the totally blind population that see nothing at all, no light or anything. So it's, it's really, really a low, low percentage. Yeah. yeah. I'm all, to, I'm, I'm all about bell curves and statistics. So I'm like visualizing that, like that's a, that's a small percentage. I mean, yes, not even is. knowing what the total number is, but that means 98% can see light. Some form of light. Yeah. Wow. And, some and of by them the way, it's, it's very <laughs> dim for some people, you know, uh-huh. but um, like some people can go into a room and you have to be closer to the light, but you, they think they can see it, you know, mm-hmm. whereas that, some people might not see anything. Gotcha. And all. that's how you were able to drive that one time, right? Exactly. Did you do the rollerblade? <laughs> I remember, did we talk about, was that a dream or did you actually rollerblade? No. I, well, I do. I did skate when I was a okay, kid. Uh-huh. I, I was taught how to uh, roller skate. I rode a bike. Uh-huh. Um, I crossed the street to the to a playground when I was five because I wanted to go. You oh, know? my God. Um, that's, that's kind of a funny story. I was five years old and I come from a big family and we lived across the street from a playground. Uh-huh. And um, I remember leaning on my, my, the family car, which was a station wagon, and listening to the traffic. It was a busy street. And uh-huh. I went across the street. Now I'm five, okay? Uh-huh. And I found my way to the swings because I knew where they were, and uh-huh. I got on the swings. Uh, I also got in trouble. <laughs> but Randy, uh-huh. she was crossing a busy street, and she got in the middle of the street, and there were cars whizzing. They were going, I one way and I'm just imagining this. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, Debbie, I know you as like the kind of person, like if someone's in your way, you will say, get out of my way. But I just imagine you as a five-year-old, you know, just be like, just going like, you know, all these cars going around. (laughs) Well, well, we're glad you're here today. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the thing is, um, I didn't get mad because I knew I shouldn't have done it. I was angry because I got caught. Mm. You know, so that that tells you what kind of a person I was even at five. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's a very empowering thing too, and I'm I'm glad you you shared that because I, I we would just imagine, or I say that we, I'll say I I would I would just imagine that no, like someone who is impaired in any way wouldn't feel empowered uh, to do things or get things on their own, but they would feel helpless and always in need. You know. <laughs> Well, we were very lucky, uh, Arian and I, because we, well, first of all, my, my mother was a school teacher and she, um, I came from a large family, as I said, and she believed in my brothers and sisters uh, not treating me any differently than they treated each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we got into fights and I also played with them, but you know, the same thing, I learned to ride a bike and to jump rope and, you know, roller skate and all that stuff. So, and then I'll, we went to an organization for the blind and uh, the director, the founder of the, of this organization was instrumental really, excuse me, in teaching us that uh, blindness is not a handicap. It's a nuisance. That was his, that was his thing. He always mm-hmm. said that. So we grew up believing that we could do things and that, you know, having uh, limited vision or no vision should not stop us from doing whatever it is we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So let me backtrack a second. So were you blind from birth? Yes, I was born with, um, I have a, a congenital glaucoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have had have cataracts. Uh-huh. Um, when I was uh, seven, um, I was, um, well, actually, when I was, when I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. And my parents took me to New Orleans to mm-hmm. try to drain the fluid from my eyes because glaucoma is a buildup of the fluid. 
which causes pressure. So, you know, they tried that. And, um, but this was, you know, way back in the fifties, I'm telling you how old I am, but anyway, um, and you know, I mean, I'm, they've improved things in leaps and bounds by now. Um, but I also had surgery when I was seven, um, to try to remove the cataract. I had a cornea transplant actually. And, um, those did not work, but, um, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> well, I was asked. Yeah, the early years, I'd asked if you were blind from birth. Oh, then, oh yeah. yes, yes. And <laughs> the that, short answer <laughs> is yes. But <laughs> <laughs> you were like, you were like, kind of leading into the whole, you know, crossing the street into the parking lot. I'm like, oh, this is where we're going. Yeah. So you had surgeries that were not successful. Right. Um, going from the park incident, going forward through like, you know, high school and, and years afterwards, like what was your experience then? Like, I, I, the thing I want to know, and I'm going to ask you later, or if you want to answer it now, like how were you treated? And um, if you could have been treated differently, what would you have had people do? Or, you know, I mean, this is something I would like to know just because like, there are times like, you know, we've been friends for a long time, but I never know when to say, Debbie, do you need help with something? Or, you know, just holler. Because I'm the kind of person that's like, if someone doesn't ask, I'm not going to, you know, offer. Unlike Brad, for instance, who's totally on top of things and like grabbing you out of the car and, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've also had that thing too, where, where your parents were like, don't treat them any differently. Um, yeah, I think that was my mom. My mm-hmm. mom you know, being a, an educator and, you know, uh, just, she just felt like it would be to my advantage to be treated just thought, you know, like the rest of my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was, ki- I was kind of used to, <clears throat> um, and um, this is true for, well, maybe not true for a lot of people uh, because I grew up with sighted kids, you know, my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, How many did you have by the way? There were 13 of us. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I was looking at like six or seven. The way I don't know why it was in your tone of voice. I'm like, okay, six or seven, but 13. No, 10 girls and three boys. And where were you in the lineup? I was number nine. Okay. Number nine. <laughs> Actually, in junior high and high school, I went to a, uh, I was mainstreamed, which means I went to school with sighted kids in junior high, starting in junior high. And they, we're not real. I mean, we didn't socialize with them, not because we didn't want to. I think it was just, they didn't know how to deal with us and we didn't know how to help them to learn um, things, yeah. you know? So we, um, we pretty much stayed, uh, kept to ourselves mm-hmm. in junior high and high school. Uh, there were a few kids that, you know, were sort of nice to us. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not, I don't want to just say sort of nice. They were very nice, but you know, I never did so anything socially with any of the kids uh, that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got into college, um, I started uh, making more friends. I had people who were readers for me. You know, they read. Uh, I took Spanish, and um, one of my long-term friends—we're uh, still friends today—is uh, a sighted woman who. Um, is someone I have not called. <clears throat> Speaking of calling people, um, <laughs> they're all on but, the list. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, I started. I don't know what happened. I just decided that I didn't want to be around all blind people anymore. And right. that's not to say I totally dropped all my blind friends because I have not. But I, I really think it's important 
for blind people to be out in the sighted world and not mm-hmm. just stay, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like anything else, you know, I mean, um, culturally or race, racially, you know, I think it's important for us to mix mm-hmm. because we have so much to teach and to learn from each other. So I felt like I, I just didn't want to uh, seclude myself and be with all blind people. Yeah. And so I started to kind of reach out and that's, you know, and because of that, you know, that's how I met you. Exactly. I was about to just bring this up. So uh, people who don't know this, uh, Debbie and I met on, on a musical production of Godspell, where she was the music director <laughs> and accompanist, but music director, uh, first and foremost, and uh, single-handedly got us from day one to the end. And it was one show that actually had a second running. Yes, so it did. we had... Uh, a first run, then we took a little hiatus and surprise, you're back. And so <laughs> it was such a pleasure to do that and get to know you through that process. And it just was wonderful. be in awe of like, you know, you are such an accomplished pianist. And I was, I, and I know I asked you this 20 years ago, but tell me how did that come about? Like, how did you learn? When did you, who plunked you on the piano? <laughs> like, did you, did you lean on your parents' station wagon and then cross the street and then find a piano? I mean, like, what happened? <laughs> Yeah, my mom said, okay, I'll keep her outside to play the piano, and that way you're not going outside anymore. Gotcha. She changed me to the piano. Yeah, she changed me to the piano. <laughs> my, mom, my mom did that to me, so. <laughs> did she really? No. Oh. I mean, it, was the, it was a timer. That was enough to chain me, so. <laughs> well, you're, God, you're a great pianist, too, oh, and you read. That's another thing, too. I'm, I'm always amazed with sighted people and reading music and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, to answer your question, mm-hmm. um, my oldest, very oldest sister tells me that when we were in Mississippi, uh, we had a piano and mm-hmm. I was three, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, I climbed up on the piano bench and I picked out Silent Night with one finger. Wow. Yeah. And so I guess my mom said, well, I guess this kid should have piano lessons. Mm-hmm. So when I started uh, elementary school, uh, and again, this was a school for blind children, I had a teacher. Um, so I started taking, really taking piano lessons when I was five. And um, I took them all through that. And then I got a scholarship to a conservatory when I was in junior high. Mm -hmm. And uh, then after that, I just, I didn't study anymore, really. I just, um, you know, I just played and got involved with, uh, Erin and I did, um, we were, this organization for the blind that we were involved with did musicals, Mm -hmm. which is why I got interested in musical theater. Both of, well, Erin's an actress, so she was interested probably long before that, but um, I, we did Finian's Rainbow, The Sound of Music, and we did two years of Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. And the second year that we did Fiddler, I was the accompanist. And um, uh, we, took, we took, some of the cast went to the White House. Um, 1971. In 71. And mm-hmm. we played there for Mrs. Nixon. Wow. Um, which was really kind of an honor, you know, whether you're a public, Republican or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were, we were just teenagers. Yeah, then, yeah, we were teenagers. Yeah. That's such, I mean, yeah, it is, uh, given today's political climate, there is, you know, many layers to that. But, yes. um, but yeah, I would imagine like being invited to go play at the White House is just, wow. Like It yeah. was awesome. It was yeah. great. It was great. And, you know, I took some, I took lessons again. I had a piano teacher when I got older. And then I, I you know, I did some, I had some like piano ensemble classes when I was in college. That was fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then 
um, then I just I just kept playing. I just kept playing for different bands and your singers, and I even taught for a while. Oh, um, I taught a couple of blind kids, uh-huh. um, and I taught uh, some sighted students too. But I I don't really know mu- enough about um, print music. I mean, I sort of understand it, mm-hmm. sort of, kind of. Um, and I think I remember asking you how, once, how do you read all that stuff? Your eyes have to go all over the place to read all the, clef, the you know, the clef and the staffs and, and all that kind of all stuff. All those lines. And yeah. yeah <laughs> all those a... little, little round circles. <laughs> yeah. Blood, sweat, and right. tears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you, I remember working with you that you, you had this knack of listening to a song just once, basically, and then we you... were, we were fans of Godspell since the seventies. So uh, when she got to do Godspell with you guys, um, mm-hmm. that was one of her dreams come true. Yeah, yeah it, was, it really was because really she knew was. the score anyway. So yeah. <laughs> that was I mean, seriously. I just take a little tangent for a second. But speaking of like, we were called the Motley Crew because we were. It was, yeah, the entire production was just like a mishmash of so many different personalities, and um, we had what it was a half hearing impaired cast with a sighted okay. cast, and then Debbie music directing. And it was, I remember from day one with Dana, I forgot his last name, Dana Williams, Williams, Dana Dana Williams, when he was talking to me at my audition about what his vision was, I was like, what is, what, like, this is not going to happen. And magically it did. I remember uh, previews. I remember specifically telling my friends, I'm like, I'm not even sure this show is still working. Like, I, I don't get it. Cause I'd be just you know, these, these gates are flying at us and we're not getting them where they need to be. And no one seems to remember where they're going. And, uh, you know, and magically by opening, it just found its shape and then blossomed into this production that, you know, is one of the highlights of my performing career, but didn't really have that full on reach out to people um, the way the producer had wanted it. Yeah. 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 We definitely were a uh, mishmash of that, which leads me to, okay, my apologies. This is where the cane story is a great way to <laughs> segue. I don't even remember what I did. You oh, moved my cane. I just, okay. No, okay, I've learned not to move canes. Um, but weren't you sitting down at the time? Like you were at the piano. I'm like, I just need to move this out of the way. And just like, it's, it's yes. okay, in my yes, light but, or something. <laughs> yes. But you also, you moved the piano. I was walking in from somewhere. And and you had to move the piano, to be fair. Yeah. It wasn't like you just moved it, just, you know. But you did move the piano and you said, find it now. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. It's okay. That was that was 24-year-old. Uh, uh, yeah, that was that was me. Um, but I probably left the bench where it should have been, though. So if you decided to sit down. I, I think maybe you did. <laughs> and we did have fun uh, playing tricks on each other. Too. We did. We did. Yeah. So I remember, uh, I, I forgot what, there was one part of the show where I'd have to come up to you. I was probably picking up the ukulele and you would always whisper something or mouth something to me. Like, I'm just like I'm trying to concentrate on my chords here. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I cherish those moments. So. And there was one, you did On the Willows. And uh-huh. I said, okay, everybody, you guys are going to hold the last, the final note until Randy stops singing. And you were like, oh, 
<laughs> and they must have been giving you all kind of dirty looks because you were like, oh, I'm going to hold this note forever. <laughs> I have a huge lung capacity. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> it's like barrel chested Gia. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Randy. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Be well. It's warm today. It is. The booth going. All right. Take care. Stay safe. You too. Bye. Bye. There it is. Thank you to Dave, Vincent, Debbie, and Arian for taking the time to share uh, what what life is like for them. And I appreciate it so much. And uh, I'm grateful to have some really cool people in my life. Till next time, stay safe, stay sane. Do the right thing and look out for each other.